I know. I, that's what I was going to say. It's like we're matching and we didn't even like hit each other up. No, nah, bro. I felt your spirit, man. We out here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I think we're recording. Um, Perfect. So good evening, everyone. My name is Johnny Thickru. Today is Thursday, July 2nd, 717 p.m. And welcome to another show of Mocha. And today, man, I always say how excited I am for guests, but today I'm excited to have such an incredible individual like Kyrie. Let me try to do you justice uh, for an intro that I was thinking about. I was looking, scrolling through your gram, and I was like, man, your Instagram kind of says it all. Give me a second. One. So this is uh, St. Kyrie of Beacon Hill, the young patron of St. Beacon Hill, keeper of spaces, protector of children, cooking, martial arts, poetry, petty, all of that. All one word. So welcome, Kyrie, to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, B. I appreciate that. Of course, of course, man. How you living, man? How you living? Man, I'm, I'm all right, man. Uh, it's been one of those like long days, but it's, it's been a good day through and through. A lot of good news for like some community work working on. Uh, got some hard stuff for work out the way, and I don't know. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have a good a good weekend. I'm gonna try and make challah bread. Um, you know, like the it starts with a C, but C silent. It's like the Jewish like mm. uh, bread. Yeah, hella bomb. I'm gonna take my first crack at it um, on this weekend because uh, anyone that you know knows me knows I might like to cook, but I love to bake. So Ooh, I love oh, it. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get into that too, man, because I've been scrolling through your Instagram and you look like, like, man, like top chef, masterclass. Like I have so many questions. I feel like looking at your gram, I want to like taste what I'm seeing like every single time. Yeah, but, man, I, I'm sad. I, I should do more live streams of me like making stuff because everyone's like, okay, we get, you know, what's in it, but like, how do you make the stuff? I'm like, man, it'd be easier if I just showed you. For real, though, especially in the quarantine, all we do is, like, sit and wait. For real. (laughs) That's no lies detected here, fam. Absolutely. So, um, I actually got to get to see... Ah, sorry, words are weird. But um, let me pump the brakes. And, yeah, I just kind of want to start by, like, giving you kind of, like, the platform. Like, who is Kyrie? Mm. Um, Maybe, like, talk a little bit about, like, experiences that have really loved you into being who you are and yeah tell the people who you are all right boom uh so hey everybody you know hit the hit the spider-man from the silver everyone you know (laughs) (laughs) um yes you know johnny got to tell you my name's Kyrie, young patron saint of beacon hill uh that's where i'm from uh right on beacon hill grew up there almost almost all of my life uh and honestly you know a lot of, I realized that a lot of, you know, what Beacon Hill is like really, really shaped me uh, growing up because there's a lot of things that as I got to university and I became exposed to like communities and people from other communities, like so far different and so far removed, like from my own, there was a lot of stuff that I took as like the casual happenings of like the world that were not so casual, that I didn't know were extraordinary and I didn't know that how fortunate I was to be like part of a lot of those things. Like, you know, I met a lot of people from uh, like the Bay area in California 
And, you know, I'd be having conversations with friends of mine that were like black, friends of mine that were Asian. And I, you know, I was astounded to find out that like there, they don't hang out like that. Like how we do Mm. in Seattle. Like, you know, in Seattle, a lot of black and Asian communities, like they, they kick it all the time. You know, it's a very common, common thing. And even like in different neighborhoods, like tend to live very close, if not intertwined with each other, Mm. you know? So that was always really interesting because, you know, there's a lot of like Asian cultural things that, you know, I grew up with, like even some of my family, um, you know, from parts of Asia, like I have cousins that are um, Chinese. I got extended cousins that are Laos and Cambodian, you know? Um, So just kind of growing up like with a family where you're always kind of exposed to different things. One I thought was like, I I realized was a, was a privilege that, you know, a lot of people don't have a lot more, you know, homogenous families, but, you know, even at my, at my high school, you know, Cleveland, Hey, home of the home of the Eagles, man, home of the Eagles. You know, they're really on the come up now. And I remember that like my my graduating class was like one of the graduating classes to really facilitate that come up. And, you know, I try to explain my high school experience to other people and like they don't they don't get it at all. I'm like, yeah, you know, we had we had a bunch of mix of places, you know, you could be going through at any given time of the day. You'll see like the football players playing Yu-Gi-Oh with like the math club people. You'll like be going into a hall and you'll see a whole bunch of people film recording. Someone's in like one of the corners just playing like the ukulele for whatever reason. You got a whole bunch of break dancers that just took over a hall and they're doing a bunch of freezes and they're doing like everything, you know, practicing their six steps. You know, you had just a really interesting blend of timing, you know, um, where, you know, it it looked like a movie up in there. But (laughs) when I talk to other people about, you know, what encompass like high school for them like we we just got like the really big like tech grant so they were moving from into tech stuff um i mean our school had like a pretty solid history of like you know violence and stuff like mm. people was fighting fighting at our school i know the maybe like third day i was there and i was you know chopping up like i don't i don't have a whole lot of game when i'm talking to people but this was one of the six days of my life where I was talking with someone and I was on fire class, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, things are going good. You know, I'm a freshman and stuff, but you know, this is going good. I'm about to make sure I'm going to have my good first, you know, week and stuff. People are bumping into me and back. I'm like, look, man, I'm really doing good. First time in my life, man, you're really fucking this up for me. They keep bumping in. I turn around and a fist just flies straight across my face and knock, almost knocks out the dude next to me. I'm, oh, you know, I take about three steps back. Or, you know, me, I like to fight, but I like to watch more. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I moved up out the way and I see these dudes collectively between the two of them, these are some big ass high schoolers. There's at least 450 or 500 pounds between the two of them. And they are just going at it. I saw, I saw violence I had never seen before. I saw a dude get thrown who was 200 like pounds. I was like, he was in the air, catching hang time, full off, full-ass Boeing 747, dudes in the air, in the air. And Yikes. he looked at me as he's falling, like, oh, and I'm like, oh, I can't catch you. And, and he hit the ground. I was like, you know what? So this is cool, you know? So you had such a collection of all those things that, you know, imbue you with a lot of, like, uh, contradictory views on things. But mm. you learn that, like, contradictory views um, can exist in spaces together um harmoniously you know mm. that's one of the things i really learned you know early on but it was weird when i got to you know university and stuff and i'm like oh 
That is not how everyone in the world likes to do things. <laughs> um, you know, so that was, that was a very big culture class for me. Um, yeah. And that, you know, learning how to bring those sort of concepts that like I was fortunate enough to be exposed to with these really strange once in a lifetime kind of conditions and bring it back and be able to kind of like share it with people of like, you know, this is kind of how we come to these like understandings and these like types of communities you build. These are how we meet different goals. And, you know, and that, that's just my whole thing is like, how do we like expose people? Like, how do I expose people to like, you know, a new experience that's going to help them get where they trying to be, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to get where I, where I want you. I want you to get where you would like to be. You know, but mm. you might have to do some things you not necessarily have thought about before, you know? For real. There's, there's one thing I, I did learn in my whole upbringing was every place that I was at never encouraged in-the-box thinking. You know, mm-hmm. thinking out the box was very nor- was very much the norm. Um, so, yeah, and that, that carried me on to when I got to, like, college and stuff. I was, like, one of the first people peddling hella books off of Amazon and stuff and being like, yo, man, stuff you know, don't, don't be fucking your bullshit and trying to be buying from this bookstore, you know. They ain't paying for your tuition. They ain't paying for your books, man. Mm. So you go get it off of Amazon. It's like freshman year. I was like telling people, oh, what? You know? Amazing. Yo, Kyrie, you said something so profound um, about your experience, especially like in high school, that you can hold contradictions and still like share space. Mm-hmm. That seems to be... Absolutely. And I think in the time of like social media and Facebook, like that just doesn't seem like it's possible. Like it just seems like we're so carved off. And so like, yeah, just so it's like, it's like the internet, like the internet for me, sometimes I feel like is a good place to learn and also not a good place to learn. I feel like, like, I guess even with like this podcast, this long form media, it's like, okay, we can actually like get our thought outs thoughts out we can like talk and we kind of explain our point uh but sometimes you'll see like on like a social media thing you'll you'll see like a statement and it might not be enough or like people could see it some type of way and you know i think i don't know it's it's tricky but it's also like so incredible that that was an experience that you were able to like kind of get in high school uh would you say that it's like helped you like move the way that you move even right now yeah man because um if there's one thing it did teach me or there's a couple things it taught me when it comes to like sharing those harmonious spaces together you know one it's like um it taught me how to be able to evaluate like multiple positions and find like some type of common ground where people normally wouldn't have like thought of before you know, because I, I watched a bunch of spaces where like folks have to find common ground. Like, for example, you know, before, um, you know, they passed like all the laws regarding like same sex marriage and stuff, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bigotry we don't like to talk about in the black community when it comes to like uh, folks on the LGBTQ spectrum, you know. Um, and we had, I had a prominent friend of mine um, who was, who, in my opinion, you know, homie like pioneered like acceptance for like, um, young LGBTQ people in Seattle public schools because wow. what what I learned was like you know he me and him like we both uh, went through our whole high school like doing spoken word and spoken word events and stuff and his thing was like he did a whole piece with him like coming out and stuff wow. but the thing about the way he phrased it is like he he didn't make it into like a spectacle he came from like here's my experiences 
here's my emotions and here's like very play by play what it's like for me day to day. Wow. And, and the whole school for the most part was able to empathize with it. You know, you have people that like their views might not have changed, but what they understand is they understand um, the feelings that this person is putting forth to where like, even if they don't think any differently, they're willing to like, you know, treat this person like better, you know, mm. and vice versa. You know, there, it, it became spaces like I even watched, like, cause that's just one example, but watching that space of like, you know, learning how to empathize by people really sharing their experience, because this was before all of us became like really university educated and learning how to throw out a lot of this social justice uh, lingo that people get comfortable using that you know, they forget to bring people to the base level of like what connects us, you know, our, our, our feelings, our interests, our thoughts, you know what I mean? Cause you know, there was a time, you know, there that experience. I remembered that when I, I had a friend of mine um, from Arizona that came up and he was staying with me for a little bit. And one, you know, it's very weird how he approached it, but he goes, Kyrie, man, um, look, this is going to sound kind of weird. I was like, hey man, I live in Seattle, bro. I'm, there, ain't, there ain't very many weird questions left. <laughs> He's like, nah, I mean, look, look, look. So, okay, y'all have a lot of gay people here, right? I was like, many. He's like, okay, so I want to I, I, I befriend someone. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they have all this bad stuff to say in like my hometown about, but like I'd at least like to meet some folks for myself before I like, you know, determine how to think about these folks. I'm like, Sure, why not? I'll see if any of my gay friends are up to the task, to the term. Um, you know, and it just so happened a friend of mine who was gay had hit me at that same time. He was like, "Hey, Kyrie, you want to hang out today?" And I was like, "Hey." So potential opportunity. I gave him the low down rundown of you know uh, who who we were working with. What he's like, sure, I'd love to hang out with him. And then we all went. We got drinks and stuff. Uh, me, I don't drink, but. So I got to encompass this whole night and this probably turned into like the cutest display of just like understanding and like, like love between two like humans where they garnered like the utmost respect for each other because they represent like opposite sides. Like, you know, my friend that came to visit represents like this really, really, you know, red part of like Arizona where like, you know, they have all these terrible things to say about folks who are LGBTQ and stuff. Mm. Um, and then my friend comes from, you know, uh, an environment where like, you know, you know, like queerness is his life. You know, that, that's how he's like grown up. And they've grown where um, their, con- like their conditions and their environments they've grown up have told them to dislike the other archetype mm-hmm. of person. You know what I mean? But, you know, they had some time to just sit they started having some drinks. They started asking some questions about each other. You know, my friend's like, man, how, how, how do you just like dick one day? You know, it's just, it's very, you know, as outlandish as like possible because people get too afraid to like ask, you know, questions when they don't know how to phrase them. And it keeps them from really like understanding that person's like experience and existence, you know. And my friend, he was like, well, you know, I, I never... I never end up like liking people with vagina. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, I really understand the process of elimination. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and and the night just digressed. You know, they started having Irish car bomb drinks, you know, oh, and just man. a bunch of beers. It got to the point where they like my friend who who was visiting, 
was trying to get um, my friend who was gay laid so bad. Like he he was like asking like bartender. He's like, hey hey, don't doesn't my friend over here have a fat ass? Look at this. It's oh God, juicy like. You want to say hey to him? You know. <laughs> and they were teamworking each other the whole day, and I'm just observing. I'm like, this is disgusting and adorable at the same time. Mm. You know? But it's it's those type of experiences where, like, people aren't willing to ask, you know, those hard questions. People aren't willing to um, build a bond off of, like, respect. They're trying to build a bond off of, like, who can say the most logical, you know, argument to convince people. I'm like, logic doesn't really convince people in the way people think it's all about how you make people feel you know yeah, what i mean absolutely um, i mean if logic was the way for people to understand things like climate change would not be like a dispute you know like, uh, it's crazy it's so, yeah it's just, yeah it's not about like how much evidence you have but it's sometimes it is the messenger too and mm-hmm. you know so it's definitely like especially like people from the front lines and things of that nature i definitely feel like it's also like it's super dope that your friend was like able and willing to like yeah like kind of like be in the conversation and learn and and showcase and talk like that's really really beautiful yeah because they both were they both stated that they were traditionally uncomfortable with the other person but they both also stated that they were open to like learning and like the new experience and meeting a potential friend totally and it's that openness that really garners it because a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm open. I'm like, mm, no, you're not. You know what I mean? Like, you got you to gotta be really ready for someone to make you as uncomfortable as possible and, and move through that, you know, really sit in it and keep asking the questions and be okay with, like, being wrong, you know? I, I never, almost never hit, hear these words in Seattle, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I, I can... Yeah, man, I can really count in my head, like, people, like, that come here and, like, I live here. Like, maybe I've heard people say, I don't know, 20 times. Like, really verbally say it. Wow. You know, it's (laughs) pretty wild. What does that mean about Seattle, then? Man, we do a lot of grandstanding here. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's there's no way to get around it. Like, no one likes to not know something. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You just got to be honest about it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. No, I think it's dope. I'm, I'm like so happy that your friends got to like me and like develop a super dope relationship. I also want to like hold the like complexities that like, you know, just like the same, like for us, like black folks, not everyone can like be the person that like showcases and learn explains and things of that nature. Like Van Jones is a perfect example of this. He's like the guy that will, talk to like alt writers and that's not for everybody but there are people who are like willing to kind of take on the mantle so to speak and you know every like we all have tactics for like bettering communities and so Mm -hmm. like it's like that's why i like really like commend your friend for like yeah willing to like you know like in some ways educate but in some ways like wanting to like develop a relationship with someone that they've never experienced before so like i like yeah i appreciate it and also want to like hold the complexities that it's not it's not so cookie cutter um sometimes but oh, it's yeah. dope. it gets messy a lot of times and you gotta you gotta let it get messy you mm. know what i mean because 
a lot of the times like people let folks like argue and then when they get to the part of like extreme frustration you know they're like man now it's my time to like leave you know mm -hmm. what i mean but like after you leave there's nothing stopping you from coming back you know mm -hmm. what i mean and being like you know what i was really upset earlier i'm still a little bit upset if i'm being honest but like i want to i want to learn or i i want us to be cool you know mm -hmm. what i mean and and that's usually like a really hard part that people like aren't able to do but we teach kids to do it all the time you know what mm -hmm. i mean like cool off a little bit and then they try and have them like talk a little bit make up maybe like they give a high five fist bump whatever it is you know like we teach kids to do do that all the time and they they do a good job of it till they become adults and people stop expecting them to you know what do you think wait that sounds really interesting so you said kids are taught this they're taught to like cool off take a second and then kind of get back into it but mm -hmm. at some point in our like formative years we we lose that something about yeah. that is lost like what mm -hmm. what happened man my biggest guess is like we hit high school and then like students be are given like a little bit more like um like autonomy over like their own actions and like uh how do you say like um ownership of like their own feelings a little bit more mm. to where we start moving into like you know a lot more of the individualistic like nature that is the u.s of like hey you're entitled to your own feelings beef opinions on the thing and you don't gotta do anything you don't want to do you know what i mean versus like when when uh kids are like younger and they're in that middle school elementary school age you know society doesn't necessarily trust them to make the same kind of adult decisions um or not the adult decisions, but really just like more mature decisions uh so they force and facilitate these opportunities for them to learn these more mature lessons like cool off come back rekindle uh or preserve a relationship or try to make you know what's called like a working relationship you know it's shit that like hr basically has to do when like two employees got like beef with each other um they're like well i'm not gonna have y'all like each other but mm. how do we make conditions to where y'all can work together um since you both still work for the same organization or company or whatever word you know what i'm saying word speaking of beef i thought we could switch gears and not Love talk beef. about beef like beef beef but like beef as in cooking in the kitchen um it is very clear and just even just seeing through like facebook and instagram and other things that you know, cooking seems to be a, a passion of yours. And I thought it'd be cool if you could kind of break it down. Like, like, when did you know that this was your thing? Like what, like, made it happen? And yeah, like, it's dope to, to see a brother like, in the lab, you know? Yeah, man, like, dude, cooking. I So I've been like, like cooking for real, for real since I was like seven. Right. Because wow. um, initially, uh, I lived with my mom for a long uh, time. And in living with my, my mom didn't really cook. Um, she, there's not a lot that she really knew how to cook um, early on. She honestly didn't really get into cooking until about a year and a half ago after like, I started like, I started making so many more things. She started getting more curious. She wanted more like ownership over what she eats. She wanted to feel better about what she ate. So she's like, you know, she just started cooking, just starting with things she already likes and then like branching into things she was curious about. You know, so like now she she has like a good little repertoire, of like things she knows how to make, you know, and a lot of people always feel like, you know, 
it's it's too late to learn it's never too late to learn you know mm. um but i started learning from like my grandma because um a lot of times on weekends and like some afternoons and like you know i, sp I split probably half my time growing up um living with my grandma and you know one of our things we would do to bond is we would we would make food together mm. um you know she would show me how to cut stuff she showed me how to knead doughs she showed me how to stir um and yeah she showed me a lot of my early like sort of cooking lessons and as i got you know older you know i started refining a lot of those things started trying a lot of like experimentation like i'm a pretty good cook but i'm a pretty good cook because i've like you know messed up so many dishes mm. like so many terrible like even like funky smelling things oh it's just some <laughs> terrible stuff i've made you know and and me I'll, I'll still eat it too because i'm like not only is it like man we still need these food right but it's mm. also like like let me really find out like why these flavors didn't work together you know what mm. i mean um then you know i, I hit high school like all, so I, you know, I grew up in Beacon Hill. Like a lot of people are from a lot of different places in the world. And a lot of my friends are too. My friends from everywhere, every corner of the world you can think of. I think I got a friend from at least almost every country. Um, and at some point, you know, I'd be walking after school with friends. Like maybe we stop up at a friend's house. And at that time, a lot of my friends didn't actually cook. Um, so I'd be like in their parents' house and we'd be relaxing or something. And like, I would ask like, hey, do you need any like help in the kitchen for whatever reason? Like it'd be a mom or a grandma or someone that'd be cooking, you know, like I just see no one's really helping them because that's like their prescribed role. And I'm like, well, I mean, I ain't got shit to do, but like play Halo, like would you, <laughs> would you like some help? You know, and they're like, sure. Uh, and I'd just be observing and they would show me how to make like different things. And I'd be helping, you know, prepare a lot of meals with friends of mine, um, you know, and their families. And like still to this day, you know, I still know a lot of these families still, you know, randomly stop by and say hey to a lot of them, um, you know, and, and they showed me a lot of, you know, things internationally that I didn't know before, you know, mm -hmm. my friends, I'm not my friends, my family's really mixed already, but, and they know how to make a lot of stuff, but that exposed me to a bunch of new like worlds. And by the time I got to college, you know, I really noticed that I had a knack for making like comfort food. You know what I mean? Like food that just made people happy. Um, wow. And irregardless of culture, you know what I mean? Because one of my things was like, I want to be able to make food that no matter who you are, you could eat this and enjoy it. You know, like I even had a boss when I was at SU that wanted to do like a one-on-one. -on -one. And I was like, well, and I was still living in the Yobies at the time, you know, it's an apartment complex. And I was like, how about this? You should stop by the Yobi. I'll cook us some lunch and we can do, you know, whatever. And they're like, yeah, but... I don't know. I got a lot of dietary restrictions. And so I was like, I mean, yeah, that's cool. But you know, what are they? Like, I'll probably still be able to make something great for you. Mm. And they're like, uh, well, you know, I'm like, I'm gluten-free and vegetarian. I was like, all right, cool. Anything else? Like, no. I was mm. like, all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll make some. It's no problem at all. You know, and I, I made like a pretty solid dish for them. And they're like, can I have the, the recipe for this? I can't ever find good food for me and i was like no nah, no nah, it's a it's a right in my opinion that everyone deserves good food mm. you know? um i love the i love so much of what you just said there's so many things i want to tackle down but i hmm where do i want to go i think something that i've been thinking about too is and i think just hearing you talk about cooking and and how you learned and the trials and tribulations if you will um 
is that food is so much more than just three meals a day. And the fact that you like specialize in making food that makes people feel good, Mm -hmm. something to be said about that, man. Yeah, man. I ain't going to make you like go straight to sleep, but like I'm going to make sure that when you eat this, you feel a sense of like, you know, happiness. You know what I mean? Because like every experience that like people have ever like cooked food for me has been because they, they either wanted me to like continue living or they wanted me to like feel well and welcomed. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I'm like, and just the simple act of like providing those types of food. I was like, as much as it's like not a hassle on their end and it's like, like minuscule, like to me, that's something that, that means a far great deal, you know? So like anytime I make people food, I take it like, you know, very seriously that like, you know, I, I want to make sure this is something you're going to enjoy. So I'll, I'll make something like near perfect or I'll make sure like it looks fucked up. It tastes amazing. Oh, you know what I mean? It's my like, favorite combination. Man, I'm telling you. That, that show on Netflix, that ugly delicious, man, that I was like, you made that for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to you be know? the next contestant one day. I promise you that. I'm, I'm telling you, man. That's rad. That's so dope. That's great. It's so dope to hear like how passionate you are about something that you're good at so it's so also so dope to hear like the confidence and also like the like the love that comes from like what you do uh mm-hmm. in supporting other people and it's also great to hear that you've made terrible dishes before oh man so many terrible dishes my mom remind my mom and grandma remind me of any terrible dish i've ever made like if i'm Is- making something new like, they'll forget that I haven't really made a lot of terrible dishes since, like, 2011. But to I them, mean, it's basically yesterday. They remember this, like, their taste buds just got violated, you know. Totally. They're, they're still upset with me. I was like, You're, it's been 10 years. Why are you still upset about this, you know? And there was something else that you said that was so profound. It was like, yo, like, even, even if it's a shitty dish, like, I'm going to still eat it just to see, like, what goes well and what doesn't go well. Yeah, man. You know, there's a lot of those. Totally. And so that should like, you know, you know, for viewers, for people, uh, for anyone that's like wanting to try something new, like be okay with like failing, be okay with mistakes. Like, you know, Tanasi Coates, I remember seeing him in Philly and he was like, yo, if you're going to write, just fucking write and it's going to be garbage. The next day, it's going to be garbage. Maybe the next day it's going to be a little less garbage, but you just got to keep on like trucking, you know, mm-hmm. for real, for real. Yeah, man. Because the cool thing about like cooking is that everyone has to eat eventually. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like you can just be like, ah, I'm just never going to eat again. I'm like, all right, <laughs> tell me how you feel in 30 days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so I want to talk about uh, the spoken word that you got into. It sounded like when you were in high school, you know, yeah. I don't know. If, uh, you know, if you're from Seattle, like Seattle has a pretty big like poet scene, I would say, mm-hmm. like there's some dope organizations, you know, Youth Speaks, Totem Star, um, just countless. There's, I'm sure there's tons and tons and tons of like uh, dope ass poets and things of that nature. So like, can you talk a little bit about your poet journey? Yeah, man. Um, I had a writing teacher when I was in my freshman year who... Uh, at some point, this was right when, I don't know if people know about like Brave New Voices when like Russell Simmons was like producing that HBO special 
Um, and that ran for a couple of years. You know, it's it's uh, an amalgamation of like you speaks um, and you speaks like organizations across the U.S. and you know so many uh, amazing talented um, you know poets at the time. And I I started it where the where the caliber was man the the entry caliber was was pretty high. Like you 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 had to have way too much sauce, so much original idea. You had to have your memorization down, structure, content, like everything had to be at like such like a high level to perform at like these peaks because it just so happened that I got introduced at the peak. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and me and all my friends, you know, we all kind of learned at the same time and it became a new way of like building like community for us because we'd be able to like, share complex ideas, thoughts, and feelings and experiences we had in, in ways we weren't able to before because, you know, there's only limited things that they really teach you in school. Mm. Um, but with, you know, spoken word, it allows you to like self-teach yourself how to express. And this is before, you know, all the really funny parodies come on where you got dude with little drums like, boom, boom, boom. I am one with the nature. The nature is one. With okay. me, me, e, 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 e is the fifth letter in the alphabet. But you can bet on that, that <laughs> I will tell you more words than just that. And that's that on that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, as much as like those, pa those parodies paint poets in like a really bad light, this shit's funny. Like it's <laughs> so fucking funny. Um, cause you know, it, it was, it's really nice though. Cause it allowed me to meet so many different types of people, you know? I got real tight with like different folks in the LGBTQ community at that time before like it was popular to be, you know, mm -hmm. back when folks was still like trying to beat people up for being like LGBTQ, you know, and that, that was wild to me. I was like, for why? They're cool as fuck. Like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? Keep your hands to yourself. Like fifth grade, bro. Fifth grade. <laughs> no, for real. For um, real. Yeah. yeah so, it wasn't that long ago. For, it like, really that, wasn't. Yeah. And people really don't remember it, you know, especially folks that, um, come to come to seattle and they kind of rate the benefits of this now safe haven but they give no kind of credit to the folks that had to get like just beat the fuck up before like they could get some respect you know and then folks like are kind of riding the high of things that they didn't they didn't work for mm. you know that's that's one of the things i think like you know really kind of gets under my skin when it comes to gentrification you know Mm. Like when people kind of reap the benefits of like kind of community work, but the people that did the work to reap those benefits get pushed out. Mm. You know? Can you talk a little bit about that? I know yeah. that's definitely something that I've been seeing you post a lot. And like, I feel like you as someone who was, especially Beacon Hill um, of all places, uh, you know, like for folks who are listening, I mean, everywhere is being gentrified. Um, and mm -hmm. Seattle is, you know, one of the wealthiest cities in the country we you know are home to amazon microsoft tech a lot of mm -hmm. you know a lot of uh wealthy businesses that have obviously you know pushed people out and you know obviously that's not that's you know the erasure of space the erasure of memories the erasure of blackness um i think i saw something about the African-American population in Seattle like shrunk somehow exactly. and by somehow I mean gentrification racism capitalism all of the isms coming together 
but I was wondering, Kyrie, if you could talk a little bit about the work you're doing or the work you've already done in combating gentrification. Yeah, I mean, like, before recently, like, my work was, like, very low-key because anyone can tell you that, like, you know, me, I'm pretty much, I'm a pretty kind dude, but um, I, I, will, I will tell you something, like, pretty straight up and it can very easily become, like, disrespectful. You know what I mean? And that's something I acknowledge about myself, you know? And I'm okay with dialoguing with people after that. I make amends. I do all that shit. I'm cool with that. Mm. Um, like, early on, like, when I was, you know, for example, at SU, um, this, and this is a gentrification story that just kind of breaks my heart sometimes because uh, I had a lot of students at Bailey Gatzer, you know, and it's a, the elementary school um, in Yesler Terrace. A lot of Black students, a lot of East African students, uh, a lot of Asian students. Um, good amount of Latino students, you know, that school is about as POC as it gets up here in, in um, Washington. And such a cool school. The kids there are, are the kindest in the district, you know. I have students all across King County, and by far those are the kindest, most innovative, and, and most resilient students there. You know, they got like 24 or 7% like lack of stable housing like at mm -hmm. that school, wow. you know. Um, just such resilient students and we had a lot of uh, SU kind of volunteers that had came through and they were like uh, man I don't know why these uh, youth just don't want to listen to me and I feel like I can't relate with them and they're mm. not even like putting effort into the effort I'm building to put in their relationship you know and I you know I just real straight up with them I'm like yo you they literally tore down these kids' houses about a year ago to make space for, like, you to live. Wow. And you're not even going to be here for the whole time. And then you had the audacity to come to their school and try to teach them, and, like, half the time you're on your phone, mm. you're losing your patience with them, you know, you're not um, taking into account, like, their thoughts and feelings, you know? Like, they have no reason to, you know reciprocate this relationship you're trying to build you know mm. they're not even disrespectful to you like they just don't want to invest in you know the people who took away their home you know and haven't even tried to do anything for them you know like i was like you got to put things into perspective that like the demand for people like you and you following up and taking that demand has like affected their life beyond repair mm. you know? Wow. And that, yeah. And that's something that you probably didn't even think about before this conversation. And you feel like what entitled to a relationship with this kid. You feel entitled to a relationship with the people of like the city, you know, and you know, and they were like, damn, you know what? I, 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 I think I'm being ass. I was like, no, no, you're definitely being ass. You know, if anything, you need to go chill out and go like apologize to that kid and like do whatever you can to like help alleviate this person's, you know, like pain you know, they're, they're getting a constant reminder every day, you know, that their family, you know, lost a wealth battle, mm. you know. Um, and, then, you know, that's, that's like one of those types of things. But, you know, a different thing about when it comes like to now is like, you know, I mentioned earlier that like there's a lot of people that come in that reap the benefits of like community work. Like I remember when it was like the 2000s and, you know, we still even had like solid amounts of like gang culture like at in seattle you know people a lot of people that moved here recently don't like know about it like we had gang members recruiting at community centers like mm -hmm. folks were shooting around times that kids would be getting um out of school and trying to be walking to 
you know, like their after school programs and stuff. Now all of a sudden they got to run, you know, and it didn't come to a heat until like, man, like the 2000s, it was like 2008 or seven or something. Um, and there was this kid uh, that all my friends knew. I didn't know him very well. Uh, this kid, Pierre, that got killed. And um, at some point, like all many sectors of the city just decided enough was enough. You know, too many kids were starting to die of like gang violence. And the city as a unit, like just cracked down. Parents were having kids like um, be more on it about their routes. Um, community centers were like deterring a lot of like, you know, gang activity and recruitment. Um, schools were like uh, de-escalating and like, um, you know, uh, making sure there wasn't any promotion or anything related to like gang activity. You know, it, like from all levels, like people were really cracking down because regardless of how you felt, like even, the, even like gang members themselves, they were like, yo, we, no matter how we feel about this gang living, we all can agree that like no one wants kids getting killed. You know what I mean? And it was a, you know, it was a thing that we, that we as a community worked for for a long time, like many years. And then by the time we got to a steady spot where like gang culture is, there's, you know, there's just remnants of it. And it's not quite as dangerous as it used to be for youth. Um, now the youth that, you know, and their families that work for it, they don't, they no longer get to live in the neighborhood because they get priced mm. out, you know? And, and that's the reason why, like, you know, even things like today, I, I do a lot of anti, like, you know, gentrification efforts, you know, I, you know, I help get like a lot of POC, um, you know, affordable, like housing and like different, um, you know, traditionally POC neighborhoods, you know what I mean? I try and deter like other people who are trying to start up, you know, like kind of wealthier and wide attracting like businesses. I try and deter them from like starting up, mm. you know, I'm part of heck of like neighborhood pages. And a lot of people don't like me in there and I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Because like they, they, they don't really understand Seattle to that degree, you know, mm-hmm. for them, it's a, like a place to like have fun, but no one sees the work a lot of community members have put. Cause if you go to any other like major city, you'll find few cities across the States more well-resourced with stuff than Seattle. And that's, that's community members like doing work for stuff to create these for like the youth and a lot of the black and brown youth, you know, but it's just a lot of things are changing now. So I'm trying to, you know, do, do what I can, you know, to a community that, you know, gave me everything. Hmm. That's super, that's super beautiful, my guy, you know, gentrification, like I'm sure we've all heard so many, you know, points about it and things of that nature. Um, one of my professors um, at Seattle University, I feel like he was the, the person who kind of was like, you know, gentrification is nothing new. You know, like if we even go back to like colonialism, mm-hmm. where we, when we look at seizing prop- property and granted, you know, property is a very much Western lens, like property as land, especially as something as land. For real. But to gentrify, to literally seize, to take. And it's also masked under this like beautification, this like, you know, we're going to like turn this into a, I don't know, like Yester Terrace, for example, I, I got a lot of love for Yester Terrace. Um, I, I won't 
say that I have a lot of experience with it, but I do remember just walking around and seeing a lot of East Africans back in the day. Um, and if you look at Yester Terrace now, it's like pretty different, you know? Like it looks like, it looks, it kind of looks like a Black Mirror episode. It looks like, it looks a little sterile sometimes. And that's not all of Yester Terrace. There's still community there, very much so. I definitely recommend you all checking out the Yes Farms. Um, and hopefully we'll talk about that more on a different podcast. But yeah, even in my like, you know, Smalls encounter with Yester Terrace and even like Capitol Hill in Seattle, like the city has changed so much and so little and has like pushed people out. And it's, it speaks to the, the colonialist nature of like this country, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. we're just gonna seize, we're gonna take and we're gonna improve, but to our standards, not to the people that have already lived there. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Like, like even now, like that's why, you know, like I, I've started like two very sizable beefs with like different um, businesses in Seattle. You know, I've started a beef with, with PCC, uh, that's going a little bit viral at the moment um, because, you know, PCC came, used to be like a really cool, like co-op, you know, a lot of fresh food, a lot of like cool ways that they were trying to service the community, you know, in like the, like the 2000s, like they were, they were pretty cool. Um, and then they started moving like into communities of color. They, they moved away kind of from like their co-op model for a lot of a period. Um, they started like, they stopped really servicing spots and it became a sort of high-end place for like you know um, people who are more wealthy or more like white to it became like a tourist attraction for like in the south and like around like Columbia City um, to where you know that was one of the parts that used to be like affected by like you know gang culture and gang violence and now it became a spot where like you know hot tourist attraction for like a lot of white folks and they put you know apartments on top of it and like even more white folks wanted to come um, and they, you know, everything got like priced out and a lot of the people, you know, folks I grew up with, like got priced out cause they were like, we're trying to come, you know, landlords are trying to compete with, um, you know, other like landlords that are around the area. They're like, well, if they can raise their prices and still get people, I guess I can too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I saw it was happening to like the central district as well, and I was, I was like, man, PCC had the audacity to like move into there after like, you know, such wild gentrification happened so rapidly like even in like my neighborhood i was like i i I gotta do something you know but right now we're in talks of like either like how to decommission the pcc and repurpose it um in the name of like uh some type of service that will uh serve like the black community or to make them an accountable partner um that produces tangible things um for the black community things like um, like black owned, like fruit, like stand or black owned, like grocery stands and like market stuff like that, or having things where they, their products, they give their products to like, um, programs that, uh, service the black, um, uh, black brown communities, like in Seattle, you know, ones that very specifically aim it to hit those goals. You know, there's a lot of like actionable items we have, but the ultimate goal is like, you know, get them out of there. Um, and then, you know, second thing, you know, uncle Ike's too, you mm. know, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people like Uncle Ike's because it's a it's a place where they can get like you know all their like marijuana related you know things they need to feel pretty good you know. 
indulge in the green and like nothing wrong with that at all but it's it's more of where you shop instead of like what you're buying you mm. know what i mean because you know Taken. oh yeah you probably was we're about to do this too but uh for like the viewers can you talk a little bit about uncle ike and ian eisenberg and i can definitely chime in whenever but just like yeah. the you know you said where you were shopping and you know where uncle ike's is a pretty like historical place especially for the black community mm -hmm. and i was wondering if you just give game and like tell the people uh yeah give the people an overview of what uncle ike's is uh, the history of the Central District, or 23rd and Union particularly, and what's happening to that particular place, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I can only, like, because, you know, remember, it's also not my neighborhood, so I can only give, like, kind of brief little snippets about, like, the identity of it and stuff. It's in no way whole-encompassing. I want to make that. sure I'm, I'm going to give credit on that. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, the CD, um, it's, it's traditionally housed, like, a lot of, like, black and brown mostly like black community members um you know as soon as they were doing a lot of the redlining and stuff and they you know took the part of that community and made it into something you know amazing you know and right on the corner um of where uncle ike's is right on 23rd is where there used to be a lot of actually like marijuana like drug trafficking but you know the difference was a lot of those folks were um you know trafficking to, like feed their families you know what i mean because there was so much that had, you know, happened, not just with redlining, but like, you know, with the job market and everything that, you know, they were turned to whatever ways they could to like make money. Because, you know, when everyone, you know, has their views on like the law until it comes time where it's like, you know, follow the law or feed your family. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and the thing about it is like they, that corner, man, they used to, like be really on those drug dealers for us. So many of them got like locked up. Um, and now, you know, the wildest part is that, you know, Ian, you know, had the audacity to like move his shop onto that corner, knowing that that's that history, you know, cause he's, he's been, he's been in Seattle for like ever. His family's from here. You know, he's, he's, he's aware, like he, he knows. Um, and that's where it came of like, oh, you'd really, you know, disrespect the legacy of like all these people that, you know, were treated unfairly by like a a policy that's no longer in effect now and you're going to profit off of it that's where i took personal you know offense to it so you know i started beef with like uncle ike's where it's like you know i'm i'm proposing to you like two options like either you know piece up out of there you know find a different spot to like locate to preferably in like a white neighborhood or you know become an asset to the black community in seattle you know what i mean help with expungement, you know, uh, process for people's records that regard marijuana. Cause even if they're out now, like you can't, can't really get a job. Um, if you're like outside of the liberal parts of Seattle, you know what I mean? People still don't like hot hiring, um, you know, ex cons, um, mm -hmm. help with, um, reentry programs to help like get those jobs, like things like that, where we want tangible physical investment of uncle Ike's if you intend to stay and if not peace up out you know because it's you're servicing a lot of like people in seattle with like marijuana related like um you know stuff but they can get that like anywhere you know what i mean uh so that's one thing i kind of encourage people to do is like you know shop everywhere else you know buy buy local you need to buy local you know people mm. know what that means but stay that's local real, <laughs> real. um but yeah, man, because you know your your local your local dealer might still be having a family they're trying to provide for. You never know. 
Um, but yeah, that's basically kind of the synopsis of like my two beasts with those folks. I've been garnering like slowly more and more community support, you know, but more support, um, you know, is always welcome. You know, mm. we got a survey going around and stuff about like, at least for PCC for folks that have been displaced or feel like they're going to be displaced. Uh, like, you know, it's their time for my next follow-up meeting I have with them that like community can now voice some more of their concerns of like how PCCs affect them and like how like they could make those sort of amends, you know? Um, and if not, you know, why they should probably not be there. You know, it's, it's proposing both things. Cause my intent is like to give both businesses the opportunity to leave, to do better. One of those two. And if they want to do neither, I, you know, I have the tools at my disposal to turn it into like a PR nightmare. You know totally. what I mean? Like, I'm like, I, I'll go fire sale on it. Burn it all. Burn it all. You know? <laughs> and I, I, I know you, you probably mean this too. And I think when you say do better, you mean do better, like concretely, specifically, because yeah, they said tangible, you know, tangible, cool, tangible, tangible is important I, because we're I having all these, what you got to say. Absolutely. Tangible. We're having all these, like, you know, Aunt Jamamas, like, we're all, ha like, having all of these, you know, uh, companies, corporations, you know, give us, like, these, like, symbols of, like, oh, like, they're woke, they're, like, Black Lives Matter, but it's, like, you're woke now because it's trendy. Mm -hmm. You're, like, changing the name of something is dope, but that should have happened years ago. Years! <laughs> years ago. What are you doing now that's, like, actively, like, what's the restitution uh, for the people that you've harmed. So mm -hmm. truth be told, like to the Anjumama com company, like what are you doing for black folks? And I guess that means every single black person that's been offended by, you know, the racist character caricature that you, you know, depicted for some time. So when we mm -hmm. say do better, we're not talking about a solidarity statement. Nah, fuck your solidarity statement, B. We need tangible things programs reinvestment things that aren't connected to like making a good pr stunt for you you know what i mean like and you even asking community like how will they would prefer to make amends you know because every every community has different community needs you know what i'm saying um but i also want to make sure like uh like i got uh, just a little bit more time um for maybe right. like if you had any follow-up or any last minute like closers because i actually gotta go teach a kickboxing class in a little bit you know um cool that's dope um that's so dope Kyrie. i feel like i gotta like we gotta end on like one last conversation before you leave um and we gotta have you on the pod again because that's yeah bro no i'd love to come back man you know you know i was like seeing and talking to you man like i'd yeah. love to i know man last time i saw Kyrie, we were in the id Kyrie had a uh his backpack on he had a broomstick and he was just surveying checking on the international district uh, which at the time and still currently is kind of going through it uh, just because of a lot of different things. Uh, but I remember that Sunday morning, Kyrie was out here just doing inventory, checking on the people, asking like what they needed. And so definitely just want to affirm the kind of work that Kyrie is doing. He's someone who, yeah, he like keeps low, but is doing the work. Like this is someone that like, you know, might not you might not see them like publicly or anything but just know that this is someone that is like you know on the ground doing things mm -hmm. and someone that doesn't talk about it which i was you know you know to each their own like you can't 
there's no right way or wrong way of organizing. Um, mm -hmm. So I just wanted to like yeah, affirm and recognize you as another like black man in 2020. Um, so my last question for you, Kyrie, as we close this out, man, is like, man, can you tell us like what have you been listening to these days, like hip hop wise or oh, like any any kind of music wise, honestly. Yo, here, how about this? Let me pull up real quick, just like three of my last played songs. How, how about that? I love um, it. I, I rediscovered an artist that like I found in high school and then like I lost like that iPod I had at the time. So I didn't have that music anymore. This dude named Fashan, I think he's, think he's from Queens or something. Um, homie can rap. I like, he got this song called Manny Pacquiao. That's, that's really filthy. Samples mm -hmm. uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Ooh. And he makes like a nice little track off of it. Love um, it. Got you got to send big, it over, my G. I sure will. I'll send them all to you, like, right after this podcast. Um, yeah. Got some some Let's Stay Together with some Al Green, you know, because yeah. everyone that knows me knows I love me some good, some good soul music, all the good stuff. Um, and let's see, what's the last thing I listened to after that? Uh, and I listened to some Aaliyah. Um, I think last thing uh, was One in a Million. I like Aaliyah a lot. Yeah. I keep all trying right. to tell people, you know, if, if Aaliyah didn't die, you know, we would not have Beyonce because – Leah could dance better and was a better singer. I said what I said. Controversial opinion. Controversial opinion. People were probably rocking with me until I said that, but I said what I said about Beyonce. I never have been shy. I do like her, though. She's dope. Hey, Beyonce's dope. I do worry about the beehive coming after you. Um, yeah. I'm going to pray for you tonight. Uh, but Kyrie, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, stay blessed. Man, much appreciated, bro, and much love. Peace. Peace.